Welcome back to the Live Today podcast. Um, today we have Jamie Clements on the podcast. He is an ex-colleague of mine, but more importantly, has a really interesting mental health story, having lost one of his close friends, um, gone through a spout of depression himself and um, come out the other end stronger and better. But um, really looking forward to the insights that he has to offer and, and how to manage your mental health, both in and outside of the workplace. So... Jamie, just to kick off, um, to add some background, like to where like your story started and and everything, like what kind of what age did 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 you start like really considering your mental health? Then? Yeah, I think um, twenty nineteen for me was a big big year of, of progress and self reflection. I think the progress allowed me to um, reflect a lot on where it all started and where it came from. So the awareness piece definitely came later, but um from where stuff started um definitely at the age of 15 for me it's it, that's quite a clear um moment so my parents divorced when i was 15 um and through talking to various people various therapists kind of unpacking past traumas um was able to kind of see the pattern of i guess the negative pattern of behavior the negative pattern of, of thinking that spiraled and spiraled over the course of about 10 years to the point where i was having pretty regular panic attacks um in the head box office really yeah so um it wow. definitely um over the over the course of that 10-year period got got gradually worse um and then probably when i was about really at uni so when i was 18 19 started recognizing that there was more to it than just you know mm. bit worrying or you know being anxious you know yeah, like, yeah, I see yeah. Quite... Can, I, can i ask as well what yeah. it was because so for me you know close family member had mm. quite severe mental health challenges but for her, she didn't realise that she had these, yeah, for so many people around her, it was so obvious. What was it, you know, when you were 18, when you are at university, that it got to the stage where actually something isn't right? Yeah, I think, um, unfortunately for a lot of people, it's, um, it's often too late before you realise. Mm. And I don't mean too late from a too dramatic um, point of view, but you kind of, it, when it really becomes debilitating and, and changes the way you're feeling so much so that, impacts work or relationships or whatever it is mm. when it impacts your daily life that's when i personally started to notice so um for me kind of to give a little bit more insight to um sort of my story and, and how that progressed uh it started really with pretty severe anxiety which then as a, a lot of people do kind of leads on to depression as a result of just not being able to cope with the the anxiety mm. um so i think what happened at university was it just became very obvious that the way i was responding to certain things the way i was reacting to certain things wasn't normal mm. um but even then you know as you said yourself it's very obvious to people around you sometimes yeah. but uh, i think when you're in your, your kind of deepest darkest places it comes quite difficult to see it for yourself mm. and it's quite difficult to help yourself you know there's a lot of great advice out there for people who are struggling but sometimes yeah. actually being able to take that advice on board without the support of people around you is really difficult mm. almost that um i think you you just start like realizing that you need to make a change when it becomes like so bad and like as you said like affecting your life so much that you just don't have a choice not to mm like that you actually have to take a step and at that point as you said it's not like too late in the sense that it's completely gonna end but yeah it's too late that the problem's then a very real problem it's not preventative it's then looking for some sort of like way out exactly and i think that um is often you know it's a problem that a lot of people i was going to say just men but it affects mm. people across yeah, across yeah. the genders and um i think people often just get themselves to a point where what starts with you know a period of sadness becomes 
repeated and ingrained and your responses to certain triggers and your reactions to those um become almost learned to the point that you see it as and this is definitely what happened with me i saw it as who i was yeah my reaction to certain certain events and certain triggers um so it becomes very difficult to see a way out um, yeah but you're completely right once it starts to really stop yeah. you from doing things or affect the way you can conduct yourself it's then you're like, it's really yeah, noticeable it's, and yeah becomes that kind of that time where it's you know enough is enough yeah so out of interest so you had the the like your parents divorce mm. is like the kind of trigger that that sets something off and then kind of what we're really interested in um and like started looking into recently is then how like the environment exacerbates that so sure. like have having gone to like a really competitive school mm-hmm. like competition i find really makes like mental health issues worse because you have as you said like in your in your blog comparison is like the thief of joy yeah and you start like comparing yourself and maybe that started at university or did it start at school and then how is that then affected in the workplace as well because that then starts getting really yeah terrifying. absolutely absolutely i think um it's something that i'm looking into a lot at the moment and um sort of to tie it back to the point i was making about about men but there's a lot in, in masculinity. I'm reading a great book at the moment, and it's a childhood psychology book around raising boys and yeah. how we can do it better. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of a lot of problems around how we're raising um, boys in particular, and I think it feeds into that kind of. For myself, it was an all boys, mm. highly yeah. competitive, high achieving school, with high levels of sport, and then feeding into a good university, and as you said, into yeah. the workplace. And you know, it's all fast paced. It's all competitive. Mm. Yeah. And so. Yeah. There's naturally going to be comparisons, but I think the way that that is handled, um, it's really difficult because I think boys especially are raised and almost convinced that being a, a boy or being a man is rooted in being stoic and mm. being emotionless and stern and competitive and in some cases aggressive. You know, that is, yeah. that is your stereotypical man mm. from classically yeah, yeah um so yeah that definitely played a part for me because um and it's one of the things i've I've learned over the last definitely the last 12 months is around um two things that have been really powerful for me and that's authenticity and um the other one which is vulnerability yeah so both again looking at um how i was conducting myself and how i actually went through through school and through university essentially ticking boxes against what i thought was yeah. cool or manly or the right mm-hmm. thing to do so you know i loved playing rugby but i potentially played it for longer than i needed yeah. to yeah, because i sense. thought it was the thing to do i mean for, for, for me personally um i really understand where you're coming from because mm. you know you know I, I said it in my last podcast but when my sister was going through a lot i was in the you know similar position um where i was at school and i was dealing with a lot at home and then i had my a levels at the same time and especially for other people you just especially for myself at least i didn't want to burden them with you know even going to your mates would have been completely fine with it Mm -hmm. and just going you know actually i'm I'm not in a good place right now and the thing that really changed it for me was um i guess it was that vulnerability my family went to this thing called multi-family therapy mainly Mm -hmm. for my sister where you sat in this big group and you spoke and the first day i was very resistant but then you know the second day i opened up a bit and by the, the third day actually just opening up and speaking to people and understanding there are people out there that can hear you and aren't just going to be like, you know, you're, you're kind of boring to hang around with now. It makes a real difference. Yeah, and I think um, it's, again, another a great point because for me, it's something that I've realized and that I, it took me so long to realize was that vulnerability 
and also the opposite in terms of having your walls up and mm. not choosing to be vulnerable both things are super contagious so if you're not willing to be vulnerable it's very unlikely that people are going to open up to you yeah. and you're not going to have that level of connection that you're going to need to feel kind of fulfilled by a kind of le- more than surface level um connection with someone so mm. i think we're all familiar with with kind of walking into a room and there being a bit of a kind of a, a cold yeah. sort of off vibe but if you're willing to be and it's it's scary that's mm. that's the point it's you know it takes courage to be vulnerable but if you're willing to take that first step and actually be the one to be vulnerable it's amazing how much people will open up and yeah. then instantly you've created that like deeper level of connection and i think sense. this is something that's really powerful within our generation as well that actually vulnerability is is instead of being in viewed as like soppiness it's now being viewed as, as something like really brave to, mm. to come out and mm. do and therefore as you said in, it encourages other vulnerability yeah. there's this really interesting author called and, and kind of professor of marketing at nyu who wrote a book called the algebra of happiness his name mm. is scott galloway and he touches on masculinity in it and he encourages men to be masculine which you know can be quite a, a dodgy topic in our mm. day and age with toxic masculinity but he says that he they really have to define what masculinity means and he moves on to to, to describe masculinity actually um, being a person, especially as a father, like caring for other people's children just for the sake of doing that. Mm. And in, this can be seen, you know, like throughout. Yeah. And, and I mean, Jack and I actually recently went into a business um, to sell Liberté and we were mm. speaking with the guy there and he was quite senior. And he was telling us that he'd actually had a, a panic attack um, and they thought he'd had a, a stroke. Mm. Um, but actually going back into the business and being open about it and having that vulnerability you know, I think for, for a lot of business people and a lot of people in the workplace, being vulnerable, you could perceive it yourself as a sign of weakness. I don't want to go in and say, oh, you know, I've had a panic attack because these guys are working long hours and I need to be seen on the same level. But actually opening up allows the conversation to also open up and can have real benefits for everyone. Um, but quite often it does take someone in you know, a position of authority that you look up to to you know, take the first step. Yeah. So out of interest, it'd be really interesting to like also then move forward from school to then mm. like you know the workplace especially in yeah. the sales world the role that you know, you know we were both in gets very competitive then mm-hmm. you're looking at other people's targets you're judging yourself against those targets if you then don't hit your targets and you're starting to like really like oh you know is it me or is it like, what, what i'm selling whatever mm. how did you find that then like like you know is it just exacerbating the problem yeah i think so and i think um for me especially it was a case of i'd gone through school and university and then into my first job that was in sales kind of still going through that that box ticking exercise mm. and rather than being really authentic to to my my nature and to myself found myself in a role that that worked for me yeah, that wasn't yeah. necessarily 100% yeah, me. yeah um and ultimately that you know that's what happened when when I ended up leaving headbox yeah. because it was just a case of it built up over a, a period of months and then it just got to a point where um it was obvious to me and to to Andrew and yeah. to Tom and the rest of the guys there that something wasn't right and we didn't know what and it took me almost breaking down to the point yeah. where I was like yeah you know what this this isn't me and I don't know why it's taken so long for me to not only admit it to myself but also admit it to mm. you guys yeah yeah. Because- yeah so sorry can I can I ask about because so you realized at university that there was a problem so mm. I, I'd be interested to know like how did you address it then was it you know very much okay I've got a problem but I'm going to keep it shut and even when you went to headbox in the sales role still keeping it to yourself or were there practices you put in <clears throat> sorry practices you put in place to try and cope with it yeah um i think at university i was kind of the it was the first awareness of mm. the problem i didn't deal with it necessarily that yeah. well i was still quite um resistant to asking for help i was definitely not open about my mm. my issues with many people maybe kind of 
definitely not my friends. Yeah. I always tended to confide in um, girlfriends mm. or if I was seeing someone at the time. Um, but that didn't really, it didn't really help the, yeah. the issue, just, just talking about it alone. Um, then, again, from really up until the, the start of 2019, I was very, very reluctant to speak to people about it. Mm. I think my mum was probably one of two people who, yeah. who really knew the extent of it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and the kind of, it's a weird one because I went through last year a period of probably six or seven months where things were getting better, mm. but I still wasn't open and honest with people about it. Yeah. And then, as you touched on right at the start, Jack lost a friend um, who very sadly took his own life. And in a way, I'd made some progress already, but that being one of, you know, one of the worst days of my life actually kick, kind of kicked me into gear a little bit. It was in the purest form, like forced vulnerability. Mm. In my group of friends who I'd never spoken to about my mental health, we were at the pub two days after, and we found out that, that George had passed away. And I'd never been more open about it because we didn't really have a choice at that mm. point because something so traumatic had happened that all the walls were down, everything was open. And it's actually had a really positive impact on our group. Uh, in, as far as you can take positives out of such a, a yeah, horrible yeah. situation. Um, and off the back of that, I kind of just went from strength to strength in terms yeah. of willingness to be open. Mm. And once I saw initially what the reaction was to, to that openness, it was really empowering and really liberating as mm. well. It felt like a massive weight off my shoulders. So being able to share and off the back of that feeling like you can help other people. Yeah. Um, that for me is super powerful. And I think, I think so often it's such an unusual experience for people. Um, you know, I, I understand for you it was from 15 onwards, but for some people it can, it can just be at the drop of the hat. Mm. Um, and because you're in this position you've never been in before, you, you don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to tell people, people haven't told you and you're scared of what can come from doing that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for you, although it was a, you know, extremely unfortunate, um, situation, you saw the benefits that come from being vulnerable. And now mm -hmm. that's, you know, actually benefited you at this stage with your own mental health. Definitely. And I think it, it's just started, um, becoming applicable across every aspect of my mm -hmm. life. I think it's um it's now something i'm extremely passionate about it's something that i'm you know very willing to talk about as well kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it's kind of working through um working through kind of uh, trying to see what i can do really because because i have had this experience in losing a friend and been through it myself um i think a lot of people place a lot of emphasis on speaking to professionals and at the end of the day that's one of the biggest steps you can take but the power of lived experience and lived exposure to, to these kind of issues is, is really, really strong. Mm. So being able to share your experience, even if you can get, you know, last World Mental Health Day, whenever it was, I think October time, I posted on my Instagram about kind of my year and yeah. how things had changed. And the response to that, it was one of the most daunting things I've ever done, but mm. the response to it was worth it. And some, you know, mm. some people I hadn't spoken to for years saying, oh my God, I've been struggling, you know, what's helped you? And that, it just proves the point mm. around vulnerability. As soon as you, one person is willing, yeah. people will come out of the woodwork and, and actually start to, yeah. to open up themselves and it's only going to benefit them. Was that the same with Lucci James? Because I remember she yeah. did a very similar thing and like never seen such like... I think, yeah. and I think that just proves the point, you know, like I, I think it's actually really amazing that you, you posted that um, and, you know, my sister did exactly the same. But actually you know, to, to say to a lot of people and to see one of their mates who perhaps hasn't opened up about this and say, okay, you know, they have challenges too. I'm, you know, 
although it very much feels like I'm going through this alone, I don't have to. And there are, there are people out there who can help me on this journey. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the, it's kind of one of the classics, like the old school um, responses to, and it's, it's not happening as much as it used to, but mm. sort of that, you know, given that, you know, I've got a good job and I've got a, a good group of friends yeah, yeah. and I play sport and, you know, I've got a, a t on the surface, good life. And mm. I'm very grateful for that. When you tell people about your depression or your mental health issues, some some of the responses and it's something that i've not had but i know other people who have experienced are oh why are you depressed yeah you know you've got it all going on um and i yeah, think it's... that's that facade that's that mask that people wear to because they're wor worried about that that mm. vulnerability to then people don't see it people don't expect it and then that actually makes it worse because yeah. people are less willing to be vulnerable it's almost like um I, I can like compact like the comparison within vulnerability. So mm. it's not even or, or within like competition within your own mental health. So like, you don't have the excuse to be like you've got a yeah. job, you know, you've got a loving family. Like how are you feeling bad today? Yeah, and that's so backward because you know it's It's that kind of competition that's caused you to get to this place anyway. Mm -hmm. So how is that kind of a logical next step in yeah. in helping people that already you know feeling yeah. bad? I think that's the thing because um everyone's experience of mental health is is individual and completely individual mm. so those kind of negative responses are so detrimental and so, yeah. so yeah. damaging because <laughs> people just aren't going to open up because yeah. they think oh my problems aren't yeah that bad yeah. look like, at that person over there or exactly look at them. exactly yeah. and you know there will always be people who have it better than you and people mm. who have it worse than you and that's just the way the world works but if you yeah. it's, it's dangerous to take that view with your own mental health exactly yeah. because that's when it starts to spiral because mm. if you just prolong it and prolong it i i something i mentioned in my blog as well is just around this spectrum of yeah, mental yeah. health i don't view it as a zero sum, zero sum game it's a sliding scale mm. so you might naturally depending on your you know your upbringing your uh, lens on the world how you naturally view things whether you're an optimist or a pessimist you'll start or trend towards one end of that spectrum and just because you're one place on the spectrum doesn't mean you're always going to stay there mm. and if lots of small things compound and compound and build up you're going to start sliding down yeah. if you ignore it you're going to stay there and you're going to start sliding mm. down further and before you know it you've got a serious problem yeah. rather than lots of little problems that you just push mm. and push and push yeah and in your i mean in your blog post it seems that you're you know further up the, the spectrum mm. you know in a better place which is really great to 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 hear um but in your work now you know it would be great because i'm sure some yeah, people like listen to, to the podcast yeah, yeah you know might be struggling you know however um whether it's just stress you know for burnout whatever mm -hmm. um with their own mental health what is it that you do now to try and keep yourself you know relatively stable on that spectrum and, and in a good place yeah um so something i touched on a bit earlier around kind of that the kind of basic advice mm -hmm. around just self-care and actually yeah. looking after yourself which comes once you've got yourself out of the really bad places mm. um so exercise has always been a massive thing to me yeah um it's it's a very standard answer but it, it works it yeah, works it's true. yeah um as well you know routine's a big one for me mm. but also with things like that so a routine and exercise it's being okay with not doing that as well mm. i think a lot of people think i have to exercise and i have to get eight hours sleep and i have to I'm exactly yeah. the same. And James will say this. He's like, I'd be like, I have to get back and just get on a run. Mm. And he'd be like, just don't go on a run today. It's not yeah. the end of the world. Exactly. So I'm just like, no, 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 it is. And yeah. actually just like breaking my routine sometimes mm. and being accepting of the fact that not every day is going to be the same. Yeah. Probably good for me. Definitely. Um, and I think um, it's the same with, you know, we're 
in peak dry Jan season and yeah. <laughs> people are so strict with themselves, myself included at the moment, it's the first time I've ever tried it. Um, and people are very strict with themselves to the point where it becomes detrimental. And mm -hmm. it's the same with diets and it's the same with anything that you're really trying to do. Yeah. It can become harmful because you want to put these good habits in place and you want to start to build them. But if you're chastising yourself and becoming negative because and kind of punishing yourself for yeah. missing a day of exercise, that can actually become really negative in mm. itself and, and start to create poor habits in, in the inverse. So, yeah. Um, it's really led by, you know, self-compassion and just looking after yourself in whatever form that takes. Mm. Um, in terms of work itself, um, you know, 11FS, where I work full-time at the moment, are, you know, very culture-led, very people-led. Yeah. So flexible working, there'll be days where I, my, I just feel fuzzy and yeah. i just don't really feel like spending a full day in the office mm. in kind of an intense environment mm. taking time for myself to recharge has always been a big thing for me yeah um so having that flexibility and that support from work is is magic well-being programs question mark <laughs> mm. so it's there actually we're due to launch kind of our 11 life program at some point this year mm. so uh if you're listening mike uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mike liberty is always available <laughs> yeah um uh, but they've been really supportive of me so i did a um, mental health first aiders course mm. um back in june and i also do um i'm an ambassador for mq mental health research charity oh, awesome. um so work are also very supportive of that and i'm very grateful that they allow me to um get involved in the discussion within the workplace mental health yeah. um, mm. stuff that we're doing and they're always um happy to come to me if they have any questions which which i love because it's yeah. something i'm super passionate about so that for me has been been great and also by virtue of that kind of mental health work within the workplace that they're allowing me to to get involved in mm. um that naturally opens the conversation up for me to be fully authentic and yeah. fully myself because i'm not holding anything back yeah mm. so um yeah i think those are the, the big ones for me that's really great can I, i'm just going to read a little bit from your blog and i just want to ask you a question sure yeah <laughs> so um it's really great and anyone listening should um should definitely read this but this one's on understanding responsibility and you wrote once you're able to understand that you can respond to any situation in whatever way you choose you will begin to feel empowered and like you have taken control back over your mind yes that person on the tube might be walking slowly and that makes you feel angry but if your next thought is where am i rushing to it's not a big problem the anger will subside and reading it, it's, it's so true. And, mm. you know, going through the day, there are so many times when it's just like, you know, exactly that situation and you are angry. But I'd be quite interested to know, like, how did you come to that realization and how do you on a daily basis actually control those thoughts so it's not, you know, just fucking hurry yeah. up on the <laughs> <laughs> For anyone listening, I still get angry all the time on the tube i'm, I'm yeah. a london, I was a london of, commuter yeah. i was literally <laughs> walking down the street today and there were three people walking in a line and i said to james i started swearing i was like people that walk in a line should just like split up yeah. it should never be three people mm. in a row and i just got like really yeah. you need the jamie clements for the yeah, I was just like, <laughs> yeah. why? and then i realized like why am i so angry about yeah. this it makes no sense so that's a really really interesting bit of, of the piece because i'd actually forgotten about that and it's nice to be reminded of those mm. things because that for me was one of the most powerful things um, that not only got me and keeps me feeling, feeling grounded and keeps me level, but also that got me out of a pretty dark place. So I, I view that almost as a, a kind of self CBT, self cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy, where your thought stopping and you're creating space between a negative trigger, a negative feeling, and then the, the subsequent thought. Mm. Um, so Shout out to my therapist for that one. Um, so, uh, yeah, big up. Big up, big up. Um, so 
yeah, I think for me, it's just a case. Um, it's a learning from my anxiety. So for me, there would be a negative trigger. Won't go into that too much, mm. but um, negative trigger, which triggers a negative feeling. And when I was in, you know, when I'm having bad days, when I'm in kind of the peak of, of a, a panic attack or anxiety, um, it would be negative trigger, negative feeling, and then instantly into a negative thought. Yeah. And that would then just cycle negative feeling, negative thought, and it would build and build and build into a panic attack. And for me, it was a kind of the taking back control piece that you read there. Mm. A lot of people feel quite passive when they're in that place because it just happens to them. It's, it's like a thing that is happening to your mind rather than there actually being steps to it. So for me, and it's some of the things that I do now with, um, I do quite a lot of breath work and, and breathing mm. work that's helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, and so being able to, as I talk about creating space all the time. So it's negative trigger and you, know, you, you start to understand yeah. and acknowledge your triggers, but even before you're able to handle the triggers themselves, negative trigger, will still trigger a negative feeling you know mm. someone cuts in front of you on the tube but then when you have a better understanding of, of what's happened and the trigger itself and you're able to either focus on your breath or simply just acknowledge the feeling mm. you can then naturally start to create space before that next thought so mm. it sounds a little bit no but it's, no, yeah. but it's yeah. challenging so yourself it's like so russell brand is a really similar thing mm. where he was trying to like um get rid of this 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 is like really getting to kind of uh all chakras align now but mm. he was saying that he his therapist told him to start challenging himself he wanted to let his sense of ego go mm -hmm. and stop feeling things that hurt his sense of ego yeah so every time he had a feeling he would say like what is like so a feeling of jealousy let's say he'd say like what why is that arisen like yeah. what is the you know really challenge himself mm -hmm. not just like having the feeling and letting it pass yeah. but recognizing it and then asking why mm -hmm. and the second you get into the habit of doing that you then um, become better able to respond and as you yeah. say that's the responsibility you have. exactly yeah that was um i love russell brown's stuff he's he's done some some really amazing work but i was reading this book that was very much on the the spiritual end of of my own spirituality it was yeah. quite heavy um and it, that i actually took that direct from that just having responsibility being the ability to respond so yeah. knowing and understanding that you're not a passenger in whatever's going on in your head it's actually not that you have a choice, but you have more control than you think. Mm. And once you start to believe that, it starts to happen more. Yeah. It's just about building habits. There's so much around. And I'm really, really into, you know, neurobiology and, and brain science behind all of this stuff as well. It's just around learning, though, almost unlearning um, certain neural pathways and, mm. and then rebuilding them in positive steps. So um, there's a guy called David Kessler who's written a book um, called Capture. And he the term capture is basically a catch-all for for a large uh, variety of mental health issues so addiction depression uh obsession ocd um that sort of bracket of mental health issues and yeah. he says that really they all come from the same place mm. um and that is from what starts as let's take addiction as an example what starts as pleasure so you get pleasure from the act yeah becomes an addiction because you just really ingrain that neural pathway so that it becomes to the point where it becomes negative mm. so it's just repeated and repeated and repeated so they are hard to you know i know people who who really struggle with addiction with pretty debil debilitating ocd and they're obviously just so ingrained in in ways of doing things that the brain has its muscle memory at the end yeah. of the day the it's brain so hard is to there. unlearn it yeah and so it takes 
therapy in cases medication combinations of the two um to start to reset those um but once you can start to build those habits it becomes much more it becomes easier as you build those up so it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy as you as you work towards that awesome well i think I think we're that, yeah. was a, that was a I rabbit hole. That yeah, was, was we went in the spirituality yeah. rabbit hole right <laughs> yeah, there. Really but great. Jamie, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the podcast. Thank and, you guys. Um, yeah. Awesome. Cheers, guys.